Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. Our guest today is someone I've been following and been very intrigued to hear her story. So without further ado, I'll um, introduce, let Tori Williams-Douglas introduce herself. All right. Hi. I'm so happy to be here. Um, Yeah, I'm Tori Williams-Douglas, and I am an anti-racist educator and um, a neuroscience research associate, and um, I'm also a mom and a writer. All right. So we're going to, there's so much more to this because I've, yeah, but we're going to get into it. So let's start with how we usually start the show. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Um, I think for, for me, why it's important to cause a scene is because we have, in our context, we live in a country where um, a lot of, there's been a lot of lies that have been told and there's been a lot of um, opportunity that has been relegated to certain groups. And um, I'm, I'm kind of tired of that and I want to not as much hold people accountable, but I want to hold systems accountable. But as we know, systems are made up of groups of people. So um, that is... That is kind of my goal, my aim, and it's what I do um, online and what I do, um, you know, in my work. I try to leverage my work to that aim end as well. And um, so, yeah, I think that that's, that's kind of the gist of it for me. And I have been using my writing primarily up to this point, um, you know, 2019, I've been talking to lots of people already, getting a good start, jump start on the year here. So there's going to be a lot more projects that I'm going to be a part of, which I'm super excited about. Um, but so far, it's primarily been using my writing as a form of education and um, getting, yeah, kind of helping people to reorient themselves and in terms of like their place in history and... Um, yeah, what they can do to use, you know, their privilege, whatever privilege they have to make the world a better place. So. All right. So I want to talk about the lies that have been told. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't have but an hour, but just, um, and I want to talk about the lies that have been told and how, if that informs or direct your anti-work anti-racist work yeah absolutely I think that I think that that's probably the driving force because I was told these same lies and I was parroting these same lies and um it's not it's not necessarily to kind of put it in churchy terms it's not necessarily like deception by like saying the wrong things that's so much as it is deception by omission, like not telling the full story. Um, and 
I mean, before the internet, like we as, you know, people of color in this country kind of had to let other people write our narratives for us um, to a large extent. And I'm kind of tired of that. So I'm, I try to use the platform that I have primarily to amplify other people's voices as much as possible. Um, and yeah, I think that that's kind of the, that's kind of the driving force really behind what I do is like, I want people to see the whole truth, right? I want people to see and hear and learn and understand the things that were intentionally kept away from us, you know, in our history books and, um, in our media and <laughs> everywhere else. Um, and so I think that, yeah, that's really kind of the, that was kind of the jumping off point for me was, um, trying to work to find, uh, to find the truth and to find, you know, to tell the truth. It's interesting because what popped into my mind when you talked about the internet and, and is that until the internet, I mean, growing up, I had, um, I recognized that I had a bit of privilege because I had a set of encyclopedias mm-hmm. at the home. And for so long, it never, I would have never doubted that that was the history of, you know, knowledge. And, and it wasn't like we turned those books over every year. They were too expensive. We kept a set of encyclopedias, which was the same knowledge or same information in those volumes for years. And it seems so absurd now that we have the internet and we're creating content and and knowledge and information every single day at a scale that is just unmeasurable when you can look at what we thought was um, knowledge. Or if you even look at the Dewey Decimal System at the library, what was in the library was all there was, you know? You, um, if because I didn't actually have access to research papers, but I did. I could get their microfiche or the microfilm. And, but that was it. I mean, everything was in that, that building. And yeah. um, it wasn't even, it didn't even, it was like, for me, what I was living was, it felt off. It felt like something I was missing. But because mm-hmm. I had the encyclopedia in the library, I had all the information at my fingertips. So I, it never even dawned on me that what I was being told or being taught or the missions in the history were not only intentionally designed as a strategy to keep me ignorant about my own history, but also designed and a strategy to keep whiteness ignorant about its oppressive, complicit part in things it's it, it's 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 interesting I just I don't know just when you said that it just sparked like wow we thought we knew everything in those volumes and every yeah. day now we're challenged to with the if you're not of a mindset to keep learning and to challenge what you think you know on a daily basis you're stuck in those encyclopedias that never change and that's not reality yeah absolutely I think that you're absolutely right um and this is something that I say on Twitter frequently, but um, in terms of whiteness as a construct and as a way to keep 
people in certain boxes, right? Um, it's 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 dehumanizing for white people too. It's dehumanizing for them to not know their history. It's dehumanizing for them to not know because like whiteness isn't a real thing, right? It's like let's get rid of all of the defining markers of who we are and like the culture we came from and like strip that all away so that we can say that we're better than everybody else. Like it's dehumanizing for them and it steals their stories as well. So, um, you know, it's not it's not just one way. It really like strips them of like their shared humanity and their empathy. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of like combating those lies it's not it's not just for us as like people of color it's also for white people to kind of reclaim some of their own narrative in a positive way and to kind of rejoin and like the shared humanity that we're supposed to be experiencing and I also remind um I try to remind people who get down is that we're trying to create an, a, a society that was never meant to exist so mm. we're all mm-hmm. We're all making mistakes. We're all doing this thing together. And I definitely have empathy because um, to, I mean, people of color, Black women, we have been, we have the tools, although it's stressful as hell, our lives, I mean, it's painful. We have, we're really resilient because we've had to develop the skills of this bullshit that we're, I mean, we may not have understood it. I may not have, like, ah, something's different between me and my white peers, and so I may not have been able to articulate it, but I developed some survival strategies for how to navigate. And my white peers don't have those. And on a daily basis, particularly if they're following me, they're being told that everything is, needs to be seen through the lens of white supremacy. And that must has to be a complete mindfuck. It has to be. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's like nothing... All this, any bravado you had, any, I'm, 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 you know, special, I'm talented, I'm great. Yeah, not so much, buddy. You know, there has to be just like, just like a complete tearing down of the psyche and the ego and to build that up. And it takes the, the, some nuance and some, and some grace and some care um, and I and I and I do my best to um, to provide that. Um, yet I have to stand in. Yes, I get that's what you're going through, and I put a period on that. Yet we have to move forward, and that requires you to shift and to shift quickly because it's coming. It's like the encyclopedia. That's no longer the norm. The mm-hmm. information is coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, and you need to figure out a way to to try to internalize it so that you're growing. We're all growing together and we're creating a, a shared experience that again, was never meant to definitely exist in this country because hell, I'm supposed to be a slave. You know, that is just mm-hmm. what that is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that this is something that I've, I've kind of wrestled with for a while, but I think that in terms of like our shared history as as Americans. And, um, I I really think that it's like, yeah, it's so, it's so desperately important to tell, to tell the entire story, right? Like we're doing ourselves a disservice to not be honest, to not own, like speaking as an American strictly here, to not own like our shared history and to make that right. 
in the ways that we can, right? We can't go back in time and stop genocide, right? We can't go back in time and stop slavery, but we can move forward making these things right to the best of our ability. And um, like, that's that's the world that I want to live in. So that's the world I'm working to create. And yeah, like you're saying, we're, if you want to stay stuck in the encyclopedia, like that's fine. You do you, I guess. But like, we're trying to create something that's never, like you said, that's never existed, that was never meant to exist. And, um, yeah, I do think that there is, <laughs> I think that you're right on in terms of, like, I think most of my Twitter followers, well, I know most of my Twitter followers are, are white folks who, you know, really want to learn to do better and be better and to educate themselves. And um, I think that, yeah, I think that you're right that there's, you and I, as as women of color, have had to come up with these entire skill sets that white people never even have to think about in order to navigate in white spaces without coming across as, like, threatening or, you know, whatever the stereotype is. Um, so, yeah, so we have, like, this whole skill set that they don't even know exists. And so when it comes to, like, any kind of racial tension, which is, I mean, it's not, that's not really a, a real thing, right? But it's something that's been manufactured as, like, a social construct, obviously. So it has a real effect. So when you're in those spaces of like racial tension, we have really high tolerance and resilience in those spaces, right? And they have like none because whiteness was created to protect them from that. Yeah. Um, and it's the default. So it's never been questioned. Yeah. And so I can recognize, and again, I have empathy when I, I mean, I just, <laughs> I see they'll make a statement. And I'm like, okay, stop. I need to challenge you on that because blah, blah, blah. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> levels in this shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's another level. Yeah, let's go a little deeper. And they're like, fuck him. I'm like, yeah, I need to come with a PSA because once you know, you can never go back. You can never yeah. go back. Um, so I had a conversation, I was having a conversation with um, someone recently and I was like, so tell me what your, what your thoughts on the, the, the absent black man, male in the family. And he was saying, you know, he started talking about the criminal justice system. I was like, yeah, I'm going to stop you there because what we're going to talk about is how the federal government through public housing destroyed the black family by mm -hmm. um, requiring, um, by putting that shiny carrot. I, we will give you, because public housing was beautiful back when it first started, but we're going to, yeah. we're going to, um, we're going to put this carrot in front of you and say, you, your family can have this nice place to live. Great. Um, access to education, all these things, but the black man has to leave your home. If he, unless he was disabled or really underemployed, he could not be in the home. So you find families, married couples, making the decision that their the husband, the man in the house, will leave the family so that the family would benefit from this new exposure. So they're sneaking in and out of the house. You have um, these government um, workers coming in. Uh, unannounced checking for male underwear and all other kinds of things. But yet the narrative continues to be that the black family was destroyed because of the black, black, black people. Uh -huh. These were systematic, intentional um, forms of oppression and, and, um, and, 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 and hatred. I mean, just, just the hatred to say, we're a country of 
Christian values and we believe in the family, and yet we're going to intentionally break up the family. And then you look at um, like the black community, whereas other um, ethnicities or nationalities have been given the opportunity to coalesce amongst themselves, um, Asian communities, Italian communities, Jewish communities, to keep their communities strong, keep the money inside their communities. Every time you saw those kind of enclaves of Black people, they were systematically destroyed in very violent ways. Um, you mm-hmm. saw it in Oklahoma and Florida. And so these these are the histories that, and that's why I love that um, doc, that, um the scene on um, scene on radio series Seeing White um, because it documents all of this and um, also Dr. Ibram Candy's book. Um, oh, what is the name of that book? Uh, figure it out while I'm looking at this. Um, um, oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But um, yeah, and so it's like these things were were not due to your 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 belief in black laziness and apathy and these were strategic mm-hmm. forms of the destruction of families because and i say it all the time black women are the moral compass of this country we have been the strong backbone of this country and when you think of destroying to get us to destroy the family and we still survive mm-hmm. um it's like to me it's going to be really interesting now that camilla um harris is in the race you're going to see a, so much um, anti-blackness from quote-unquote woke individuals who, yep. um, who uh, have been able to rely on the surface, stay on the surface of, um, um, of, of racism and their white supremacy, but now are going to be challenged with, yep. um, yeah, it's going to be really Dr. Ibram Candy, and the name of his book is Stamp from the Beginning. Um, it is a great book, but it's going to be it's it's these are the things that again, I have empathy, but no, put a period on that. I have empathy. Period. I just don't give a fuck because we have to move forward. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's I think that that's really important. Um, and I, you know, I just I tell people I'm pretty. <laughs> straight up like look I know that I know that whatever is going on like I get that that hurts your feelings like that's great I have to deal with this on a daily basis and um yeah like your feelings are not more important than like actual harm being caused to black people to people of color to indigenous people to hispanic people like sorry your feelings got hurt (laughs) um that's not really like I don't have time to talk about yeah, that. That's like, not my issue. I, it's like right. we have years to deal with. You, you, our feelings are hurt continuously, and you don't care. So you know, throw yeah. a salve on that, throw a bandaid on that, and keep moving. And that was one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I wrote the, my uh, medium piece, dismantling white supremacy in this five stages of grief, because mm-hmm. people are being stuck in shame and guilt. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. We have to process, but you just got to keep moving. It's just yeah. like it's like a kid at the at the mall. When they're throwing a temper tantrum, okay, you can do that, but we're gonna have to keep moving. You know, you can you can scream and holler, but we gotta get on the other side of this mall. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, man, absolutely. I think that um, I think that that's a really good point. You know, it comes back to kind of the, the whole concept of like white fragility and not having this 
you know, having been coddled for your entire existence in terms of your race to the point where you feel offended when someone says that you're white. Um, it's like that's somehow like a, a racial slur to like mention your race, but then everybody else gets referred to by their race. It's like, how does that, how are we the making hypocrisy this? is really exactly. interesting. Yeah. The, yeah. The hypocrisy. And the fact that it's, it's, it happens and, and whiteness just does not see it. It's just like, I just, what? I, it, it, I don't know. It just seems obvious to me. So it's like, I don't, where are you leaving? Are you disconnecting your cognitive ability from mm-hmm. your feelings and emotions? Mm-hmm. It's that disconnect. It's, it's that real. Okay. Well, that's cognitive dissonance <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. a real disconnect um, yeah. because you can see it and identify it in others mm-hmm. that refuse mm-hmm. to see it or identify it in yourself. Well, I mean, I I like to point out that whiteness as a construct exists in order to cut white people off from empathy, right? In order to dehumanize people to the point of, like, having millions of, of slaves in this country. Like, you, you can't have empathy. Like, that's not—that wouldn't work. Those, those two things can't coexist. Um, so— I think that yeah, I'm, like that's the entire point of the construct of race and white supremacy, and yeah, I for me, I think that that's that's where the disconnect really probably comes in for a lot of folks. Is it's like you can see it, but it doesn't. You don't see how you can't figure out how to apply it to yourself, um, because again, it was like that's a skill that you were never taught. Some of the conversations that I end up having, that I see you having, that are just like, what? So I've said all of this that is, is, is demonstrates harm, and yet you pick out this one word that has nothing to do with the infliction of harm, but this is what you want to focus on. You're not the harm. Um, and I, I just love the, oh, well, that's not my intention. And they don't, it's like, yeah, we're not living in intentionville. It's about impact. It's about mm-hmm. I can care less what your intention is. It's about what those what your actions and words or whatever the impact it had on individuals. And you don't get to say how it impacts them. They are the only people who can tell you how it impacts them. And this is why yeah. we're having issues in organizations and communities around inclusion, because inclusion is about my experience. And you can't tell me I'm included. I have to tell you, based on what I've seen and experienced, do I feel included in this environment or not? You don't get to say, well, yeah, she's... In-. No, that does not work that way. And it's so funny because they would not follow... They would not abide by those rules for themselves. And right. I, to me, that's the, that's the thing that I just keep throwing back at them. I keep throwing back at them. I keep throwing back at them. Um, would you want this for your family? Would you want this for your loved ones? Would you want this for your children? Because when I look at, I've really been unpacking um, after the, um, the, before this, but definitely after the um, documentary with, with um, um, R. Kelly, and how black girls are uh, the adultification process of black girls, and how they are they begin the society begins to make them adults at age five. Yeah, 
that is so heartbroken, heartbreaking because there's so, so I was with a friend of mine who has, I believe they're six and eight year old white girls and they have been, first of all, whiteness owns the space. So they're allowed to just roam free. And there's such an innocence in those six to eight and six and eight year old white girls that I don't see in little black girls. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah. that's so sad. And you can't get that back. They will never get that. They're changed. It's, it's, they're stamped with the vileness of you're making someone who is nowhere near cognitively, physically, emotionally aligned with adulthood at five. And I just like, look at, and I'm saying this again, because I want you listeners to listen. I want you to internalize this. If your white little babies at five were now being given slowly and surely responsibilities of adulthood, would you protect, would you fight against that? Yeah, you would. So why are you so hostile to us when we protect our own? Yeah. One of the things that I try to, one of the issues I try to educate people on is um, the idea of the concept of racial triage, um, being able to enter a space and say, okay, what's important here, right? Like who's most critically wounded and take care of those people first. Um and that's kind of what I invoke when I get to these conversations, you know, with with white people usually um, of like, well, what about what about how I feel or like what about this or that or the other? And it's like, no, this isn't how we do things. Right. Like if you go to the ER and like one one kid's got like a broken leg and somebody's having a heart attack, like they're going to deal with the heart attack first. Like it sucks for the kid with the broken leg because, yeah, you're going to have to wait an extra 40 or 60 or 80 minutes or, we you know, whatever the case may be. And it's like, we will get to you. Don't worry. But, like, right now we have to focus on people who are experiencing the most harm, people who are in the most danger. And um, because of, like, the social racial hierarchy of white supremacy, they're used to being catered to first. And everybody else, it doesn't matter. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause Everybody else, it doesn't matter, right? Like if, if you're suffering, if you're dying, if you're hurt, like whatever, I'm here, so I get priority. And um, I think that I, you know, I, I, it's something that comes up a lot and I have to point out to like even, even my white friends a lot of like, you don't get to censor yourself in these situations, right? You don't get to make it about your feelings, okay? Like if we're having a conversation about like risks that um, are specific to black or indigenous or Hispanic children, like you don't get to make that about your feelings. You don't get to make that about your experience. Like we're talking about these kids because they're the most at risk, okay? So you need to leverage your privilege to make sure that they're protected. That is your job. We can talk about your feelings some other time. Now is not the time. Like, this is an emergency. <laughs> so, um, 
And that speaks to like the hashtag all lives matter. And that is exactly what that is. It's like, yep. well, uh, or, or not all white people. It's, it's that, um, <laughs> yeah. that gut instinct that when whiteness is not centered, it needs to grab attention no matter what. It needs to um, um, become more important than, than anything else. And as I say all the time, until we start prioritizing the the needs and the safety of the most vulnerable, we will get nowhere. And when we do that, everybody else benefits. When mm-hmm. the most vulnerable are safe, everybody's safe. Um, yeah. You don't have to worry about, um, and this reminds me of like white feminism. If you actually practice intersectional feminism, we could all get there together and you would be experiencing quite a, a, a decrease in sexual harassment and all these things that you feel from the quote-unquote patriarchy that you only think about because all you're thinking about, all your focus is on gender, where for me, gender is secondary. Mm-hmm. Race is, is primary for me. Yeah. Um, I have not gotten in, I mean... Yeah, you know, grow up, oh, um, girls don't do that, da-da-da-da-da. But most of that was, as a little Black girl, I shouldn't have been where I was. I shouldn't have been saying what I needed to say. All these other things were based on, you know, hell, I was an angry Black woman, I guess, when I was little. You know, that trope started really early for me. Right, yeah. So, and and I look at Black trans women, and I'm just like, they're being slaughtered and, and... they're not being included in their own communities. Um, mm-hmm. And if the LGBTQ community actually prioritize the most vulnerable in those communities, then they all would be safe. They all would have the civil rights and the human rights that um, they're fighting for. Yeah, it's so it's so true. Um and and that's something that's again that's a skill that like whiteness doesn't ever teach white people, right? Like, okay, look in this. You know, you walk into a space and it's like, who's the most vulnerable? Like, that's not something that they that they unless unless you've taught yourself, unless you've taught yourself intentionally. Like, you're not going to walk into a space and say, who's the most marginalized? Who's the most vulnerable? Who can I like leverage my privilege to protect? Or you know make space for, or, you know, pass the mic to, whatever the case may be. Um, for you and I, because we're used to being excluded, we're used to being silenced, we're used to being ignored or written off as too angry or too emotional or, you know, God knows what. Like, so we walk into spaces and we're like, you know, we're going to see the people because we know the hierarchy. We know our our place, quote unquote, and... We know how shitty that is. So if somebody needs to be protected, it's black women who are going to step in because we know exactly what it's like to not be protected when we needed it. And we're going to use that, that the little privilege we have. Yeah. Uh, we sh- we, we, for us, lending privilege is what we do. It's yeah. what we do. Um, and so it started me having these conversations like, who the fuck do black women have? And then it's the answer is other black women, but fuck, they're tired too. So it's mm-hmm. like, where mm-hmm. do we, you know, where do we go to get filled up? Where do we go 
to to for safe spaces because I can tell you, and I know you. When as soon as you walk into a space, you start counting how many Negroes are in here. Let's see. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, see. <laughs> <laughs> I, see I mean, we just go in like where's yeah. Waldo? You know? <laughs> oh yeah. Go to a conference? Oh my God! It's like okay, yep. I and get the nod, get the smile, and you keep moving. It's it's just like we know that um, some shit can pop off at any moment. Um, yep. We're not going to stand and ask. We're going to fucking run. And then we'll yep. figure out what the hell's going on. Um, yep. And it's so interesting because one of my clients, one of her job, uh, one of her assignments was to attend um, Blacks in Tech uh, conference, Blacks in Technology conference in Minneapolis, because I wanted her to attend a conference that was not designed for her comfort. And I already love the story. Yes. And it was quite <laughs> interesting because I want her, because she was having a hard time even identifying where people were harmed. Because again, with whiteness, that's not a question she, she was used to asking. And yep. so it was really interesting when she, when we followed up because she was like, you know what? I was expecting to feel outside and outside. And I felt that at first, cause she was like, I felt like I was intruding. But she said the stock difference for me going to this tech conference and, and, and as opposed to other ones, when I go to conferences that are majority white, all they talk about is technology, the next big thing, how to use this thing, they're jockeying for position, everybody's wanting up. She's like, what I noticed about this was a community. People were talking very specifically about technology, but it wasn't about the code. They were talking about how they're using it to solve problems. And they were sharing, hey, we're solving this problem that's similar to yours. And can you use, and she was like, I was so, she was so blown away by the community. And I was like, that's how we've learned to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. When we, and so this is why whiteness cannot solve these technical problems or these technology problems alone, because they don't even have the preview, the perspective to understand how to look at problems from any potential harm to the most vulnerable or solving community problems, because they don't even think in community. It's about... Yes. It's about them. It's always I, mm-hmm. and for it's always us or, mm-hmm. or our. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the whole individualist mentality has kind of been, you know, uh, pretty integral to like the myth of American greatness, right? Like that we're all. It's like nobody, nobody had any help. Everybody just pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. It's like, well, first of all, that's just bullshit. (laughs) Um, And secondly, like, what's the, what's wrong with helping one another? Like, why is that so awful? I mean, I, I don't remember one of my friends the other day uh, posted, he's reading, he's reading a book and he just posted a little, a picture of a graph and it was comparing, um, kind of beliefs between like different different racial groups in the U.S. And I was really fascinated by the fact, you know, and I've had several several other people who've kind of, you know, pointed me out in this, um, realizing that like Native communities, um, Indigenous populations here in the U.S., even though, you know, they had conflict, they had wars just like everywhere else on the globe, right? But like they were committed to one another. And why people are not committed to one another White people are every man for himself. And I mean, it's really sad. And again, like it's it, whiteness is dehumanizing to white people. It's not just dehumanizing to the rest of us. And just what you just said 
explains where the cognitive dissonance comes from and Mm -hmm. why there's such a push to say not all white people. Why don't you, why are you lumping me with in with them? Because you've never been lumped in. You've never, this is, this is your humanity. You want to claim whiteness? You got to claim it all. You can't just pick and choose parts of it that benefit that you enjoy. So you can't say, oh, I made it on my own. I did this. I pulled myself up by my bootstrap, even though Martin Luther King said it's, it, it's, it is, I can't remember the exact words, but he said it's basically, it's in, de- inhuman, as you said, dehumanizing to tell someone to pull themselves up by their bootstraps when they have no bootstraps at all, when they have no mm-hmm. boots. And this is yeah. the thing that, 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 you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, oh, wow, um, I am the greatest. I did this thing, and that, but, but not take the flip side of, well, let me point out how you did not do that thing, or you doing that thing has caused harm to other people. Oh, no, no, not, not me, not me. No, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't, you can't, what, what, huh? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I, like, this is so, I mean, it would be funny if it weren't causing harm, right? But, like, the whole, the whole, like, all the MAGA bros who want to take credit. It was like, well, white men invented like everything in modern society. Well, first of all, no, the fuck you didn't like try algebra and fucking showering. Um, and secondly, it's like, so you want credit for all the good stuff. And then when we try to hold you accountable for all the sh- like genocide, you're just like, no, 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 no. Like that, you know, I'm an individual. I had nothing to do with that. So it's like, you're going to take credit for, for all the good stuff that you had nothing to do with because you weren't, anywhere on the planet <laughs> but good good in air quotes i apologize i should correct that um well whiteness by default is considered pure and good and mm-hmm. and blackness is is and that's where i talk i use the the analogy when you look at the old westerns whiteness is always portrayed as either the hero or the victim it is never the oppressor it is never uh-huh. the victimizer at all uh-huh. so those are the only two roles that you know how to that you've been taught it is a complete mindfuck to say, to have to embrace that there are people who you really care about, these quote unquote black friends or people of color who you care about, and you have been on a daily basis causing harm to them by the things you say, by your actions, by just centering yourself in a conversation, mm-hmm. yeah. which, which invalidates or shuts their experiences down when you say when they when they when they talk about something and you're like oh yeah I had a situation no fuck you did no you didn't (laughs) (laughs) no fuck you didn't I tell people this all the time on Twitter I'm like if somebody's telling you what they're going through don't say I know because you don't know like especially if you're talking to a a friend who's a person of color like I know is never the correct response because you don't you don't know so stop saying that even the level of discomfort you're feeling is only an imph of what we feel on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And it's so funny because um, when I speak, my second, my third slide, my first slide is the name of the talk. The second slide is my name with all my social handles so you can tweet or whatever. My third slide is a trigger warning. I've been hired to make white people uncomfortable. And even mm-hmm. in that, I'm forever getting reported for code of conduct violations. And when I asked the organizers what it was, it's always, that was inappropriate. She, I felt attacked. It was all these feeling things and never anything like fucking sex or harassment. Or she said this is never on anything that's concrete. It is these 
centered feelings. She made me feel uncomfortable. Well, what the fuck? I told you in slide three, what the hell I got hired for. You act like they just pulled me up. Like, somebody was like, fuck, we don't have a speaker. Let me go stand outside and pull the first person I see in off the street and bring them to the stage. And maybe they'll have a talk already. And I was just like, come on, people. But they and that goes back to the hypocrisy and just I, I, I just often say you just can't make this shit up because I just find it so it becomes like would you let your ch- it sounds it so sounds so infantile it's like you're tattling on me it's like what what are you doing I think mm-hmm. it, what she made me feel uncomfortable what what that's just being an adult sweetheart like. <laughs> For us, right? It's like that's just a normal day. And and you like, see it and you see it on jobs when 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 black women or a person of color has to speak up for themselves or they're the manager of someone and the next thing you know, they're white women's tears and everybody's now not thinking about what I may have had to correct poor piss poor behavior. But now Becky is upset, so everybody's coming to her aid and one and now I'm on the defensive. And now I got to play defense when it was, it's just like, it is such a mind fuck that people just don't, when they make a decision, they're not even thinking. They don't realize we're thinking, okay, so if I say this, to what, what'll be the ramifications two weeks from now, five years from now, 10 yep. years from now in my career? We're doing such mental gymnastics just to be in the room and not to slap the fuck out of somebody. They just mm-hmm. do not know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that like your point about yeah, like where where are black women supposed to go to be able to get away from this just constant barrage of like, I guess, insults to our humanity? You know, it's like people you can call it like a microaggression. Right. And and I know a lot of people on the right really don't use that term because to them it doesn't matter if somebody's rude to you or whatever, because it's not sometimes people are just rude. Big deal. Um, But in terms of like just the constant dehumanization in ways that people don't even, that white people don't even think about. And so, yeah, I think that, like, this is something that's been on on my mind a lot lately, and I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure yet what the solution is, but I do, in my work, I definitely try to center, like, the voices and experiences of Black women and Indigenous women and Muslim women and um, Latina women. And, um... Just because it's like, I know, like, we're all tired, right? So I'm going to use, I'm going to use my platform. I'm going to use my voice to make sure that, like, maybe somebody somewhere will get it. And one of the things that gets me that uh, you just hit it on and you're saying humanity, I think to me, that's the root of it. We're not human, Mm-hmm. on this system. Maybe, I mean, you've had the, you know, the emancipation, we had all that, but based on how white supremacy is propagated in this country and how white people are taught, we are not human. They can say whatever they want to, they can deny it, they can, but if they saw us as equally human as themselves, they wouldn't say, they wouldn't think or act the way they do in any of these situations. We're mm-hmm. not seen as they're equals in any way. And that's the um, supremacy part of that. And until we really address that whiteness does not see humanity in me and you, we're we're circling the wagons. And that's, I mean, we're just going like that dog um, chasing his tail. And that's why I started hashtag cause a scene because I got sick of people 
not having the real conversations that make change. We get, mm-hmm. they get to a point, they get uncomfortable and then they run away or they back up. We need yep. to get through this so that we can get yeah. to the other side of this. So mm-hmm. that we can do this so that again, that all are protected. And I do not believe in fucking equality. There is no way in hell this is about equality. This is about prioritizing the needs and the safety of the most vulnerable because yeah. there is no equal in this. You don't see me as your equal. So there's mm-hmm. been there's been year hundreds of years of history of you seeing basically me as property, particularly black women. We don't even own black women and girls don't even get to own our bodies, our thoughts and our own experiences. So to to and you can argue with this, you can deny it, but to us fundamentally, to you fundamentally we are not equal. We are your property. We are less than you are. And until you Sit your ass down, shut the fuck up, and mm-hmm. let us become, stand in our own truth. Nothing changes. You yeah. don't get to tell us what our experiences are anymore. And that's another yes. thing that's, 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 that's fucking with them. Because again, as you said before, they've been, exp- they've been the, um, the experts of our experiences, even though they haven't. But they've yes. been the only ones with the mic because it, to get a mic was too, or a platform was too expensive. Technology mm-hmm. has uh, democratized that. So as long yep. as I have a Twitter account and an internet, I can say what the fuck I want to. I can yeah. tell you and I can ignore you. And this is all new to them. They don't, this is, this is, we're, basically we're coming at their asses at all different angles and they don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I mean, you know, like I, we kind of keep coming back to this whole, like the dehumanization of whiteness, but yeah, they, they, whiteness told white people, um, because the hashtag that I started is whiteness told me. Um, but yeah, whiteness told white people that they got to dictate to the rest of us what our experiences are. Our voice doesn't matter. Our our value doesn't matter, you know, unless they gave it to us. And yeah, so it's, I'm sure it's something like culture shock, right? To realize that, oh, I don't get to dictate to other people, like what their experience is. Like people have their own voices. And um, my friend, um, Broderick Greer, one of one of my favorite quotes. He's he's on Twitter as well, and one of my favorite quotes of his is, "There are no voiceless people. Um, that pe- essentially people on the margins have voices, and we just choose to not listen, right? Like we as we as a society, and because um, it's like no, like everybody has a voice. Like everybody can communicate like their needs, and." Um, yeah, it is. It's it's definitely something like culture shock for them to realize that they don't get to dictate like our needs, our values, our experiences, our 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 voices to us. And what's wow. a different? What's an interesting mind fuck though is many of them don't even realize that that's what they're doing. So yes. that's another shock. So some yeah. of them, you know, that you know, I don't argue with the the alt-right, the, right, like no. whatever, you know, because they are staunch. It's the ones who just now, like, waking up, like, what the fuck have I been doing? I mm-hmm. did not realize I was doing this. I don't want to be complicit, but I don't know what the fuck to do. Um, yeah. And those are the ones that, that, that are, like, stuck in, like, deer in the headlights. I don't want to move because I can make, I can do harm. I don't, I, I, I don't know what to do. Um, and it's recognizing that at every turn, you need to be seeing everything through the lens of white supremacy because that's how you've been taught. It's not 
good, bad, or indifferent. That's just a fact. Uh-huh. Yeah. In schools, our math, our science, our English, everything has been taught to us through the lens of white supremacy. The yep. fact that uh, we learn English literature the, instead of um, um, instead of African or or um, Brazilian. I mean, all, all these things have been yeah. taught to us through the lens of white supremacy. The fact that there is to we had to vote on 28 days of damn um, Black History Month and, and and people are like, <laughs> like when God forbid you go outside that 28 days because why are we talking about Black History when <laughs> you know it's all these things that it that others and and that's others in quotes had to get permission hmm hmm um yeah that's we are steeped in white white supremacy we as black women are have so much white internalized white supremacy and blackness anti-blackness because that's what we were taught yeah i mean whiteness teaches black women to to hate ourselves essentially um when did when did when did big lips and big booties become famous and popular when white women started getting them yep <laughs> yeah yeah, totally. <laughs> like, Shit, that's what we've been sitting on for. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, yeah, we've, yeah. You we've know? been on that for a few thousand years. Yeah, too. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's all very, um, and so I don't get to unpack this often with a, with a woman of color. So I thank you for this conversation because it's, again, it's like, who do we have to rely on? Who do we have? Mm-hmm. To um, and so something about when I saw your post, also um, y- you're. Y- I don't think I'm. I'm. I'm saying you're. Are you a nudist? Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a nudist per se, but I am very adamant about like body positivity and sex positivity, and um, yeah, I'm. I'm kind of an exhibitionist for sure. And so am I. So that's what I kind of, I, I kind of got that from. I was like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> because one of your things, one of your, you were saying what your, I guess you were, um, you got some new followers, and you saying one of the things you, you'll find is I'm, I'm talking about this, I'm talking about this, I'll be nude. And then I was like, oh, whoa, whoa, what's that? <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I to me, it's like it's. It's so important and, and it's hard it's hard because I don't want to like we live in a society, like you said, that sexualizes black girls from from preschool, right? And um, so you know, I don't want to be contributing to a stereotype. so I I'm very intentional about saying like nudity is not inherently sexual, right? Like, a body is not inherently sexual. That is not, like, that's not how, I don't want to say how we were designed because I don't really, like, I'm not really a believer. But um, that's not, that's not the purpose of the body, right, is not sex, right? You're, you're being, you are a whole person. And, like, just because you don't have any clothes on doesn't mean someone has, can, can sexualize you in any way, ever, um, like they need your express permission to sexualize you. And so, um, you know, I, I do try to be cognizant and like listen to and defer to black women, but I think that it's really important for us to like reclaim our bodies. Um, so I definitely don't claim to be like the expert 
in any way. And I do think that it's it's really important, especially since a large part of my audience is is white men. It's like you don't have a right to sexualize my body, regardless of the the number of clothes clothing articles that I have on, right? Like that's that's not your prerogative. Like you need my permission for that. And it's so interesting because I've just really uh, I want to get back to it, but I'm just read an article about from um, Davos, Switzerland, and how these male managers don't want to. Um, you know, they're so Me Too has a backlash. And I was like, you know what? They weren't doing shit in the beginning. So let's not blame Me Too on this. If you can't be in a room with a woman and you're afraid of her interpreting it sexually, there's something you need to investigate within yourself. This is not about her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I totally agree with that. I tell people all the time, every time I'm somewhere, I'm looking for the new beach. Because the sun on my naked body is just like the best thing. It's, it is so close to nirvana for me. And I remember living with an ex and um, I just walk around new and I was like, dude, if you're going to be getting uh, turned on, you're going to be in a, you're going to be in trouble because uh, <laughs> I am not interested right now. I'm just going to the kitchen. So because <laughs> and I've always been an extra. Well, I'm just going to call it a nudist because I remember being stories are no, I remember being two because that was cloth diapers. And that was when you could let your kids out, you know, roam free. And I was two and I was in the front yard and I had a, no shirt on. I just had a diaper and the little boy across the street would keep coming and knocking on the door. She's doing it again. And then my diaper would be on one side of the yard and I'm just running around naked on the other side of the yard because that's <laughs> when I, I mean, I walk in the house taking off clothes because that's how comfortable I am. And it is frustrating that I have, that I, that society is, 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 I have to have these things on to make other people comfortable but yet I'm uncomfortable as fuck. No, yeah. I'm not doing that. It's just not yeah. going to happen. <laughs> um, well, if you ever make it to Portland, Oregon in the summer. Oh, I've been like to Portland. August, yes, yes. Our nude beach is amazing. <gasps> I didn't know Portland had a nude beach. I know. It's it's hidden. It's a little off the beaten path, but it's uh, incredible. Oh, I'm coming. I'm coming. It's yes. so great. Yeah. And yeah, man, if you can get out there and it's like 90, 95 degrees. Oh, my oh I'm sure. We're well. I mean, like, let's be honest. We're just wired for sunshine, right? Like, exactly. <laughs> it's just our natural habitat. So <laughs> yes, and just to have it's just like I got it's like an energy boost to have sun on your naked body. It's like I don't understand how people not do this all the time. It's like, what are you putting that shit on for? What? 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 Okay, I get it. You're gonna burn, <laughs> but if you acclimated yourself to the sun, you'd be yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go out and and just go to enjoy my. I mean, literally every time I go somewhere. I was on a cruise. I was on, you know, excuse me, at this island. Is there a new beach? Where is it? <laughs> and then I get these whispers, you know, like, oh, it's illegal here. But I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. You can whisper. Where the hell am I going? That's all I need to do to know where I'm going. Um, and it goes, and, and okay, and so listeners, you might think this is off the subject, but it's not because it's about What's, what's a better way to reclaim my humanity mm-hmm. than to just stand in my humanity? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, to reclaim your body, to reclaim your narrative. Like, what... Yeah, there's not... I don't think there's a better way to push back against white supremacy, right? 
We get to speak for ourselves. We get to own our own bodies. You don't get to... You just said that. Just, I mean, you think about slavery and everything that we, you owned our bodies and I'm Mm -hmm. claiming my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You almost got me in tears. Yeah. I mean, whiteness, whiteness owned our bodies. It owned our sexuality. It owned our intelligence. And we're done with that. Fuck that shit. We are going to own ourselves. And you have no say. Yes. And and that does not mean that you can touch me. That does nope. not mean you can say whatever the fuck you want to. If I'm mm-hmm. butt booty naked, don't say shit to me. Yep. You don't have to say anything. You could just say nothing. Keep walking. Oh, wow. And that's a great way to end this conversation. What are the last words that you would like to leave us with? The last words. I think, okay, so this is last week um, was... Uh, Martin Luther, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And um, I, so I was, I was reading last week, I was reading Dr. King and I was also reading DeRay, DeRay McKesson's book. Um, And um, I was, and and the week before that I had been reading James Baldwin, um, Notes of a Native Son. And it, it just struck me that it's like, we've been saying the same shit for hundreds of years. This is not new. Nothing we are saying is new. Everything that we have said today was said a hundred years ago, and now we have data to back it up. We're not making shit up. So I'm like, let's not do this for another 400 years. Like, just believe us. And like, let's start to make some changes. And that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's, you get the, as I got that today, prove it. Mm-hmm. Bitch, fuck you. There's data. There is, I don't have, you can Google just like I can. Yep. And the fact that we can now codify these experiences and I lo- the, love the fact that I have Twitter. So it's not, you can't say that this racism, this white supremacy is just an issue in the U.S. No, it is everywhere. It is global. It is countries that don't even have whiteness um, because it's they're being influenced, have been influenced by whiteness. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's 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 as you said, this is not new, and we don't need to explain. I tell people all the time, I'm not debating my humanity with you. Yeah. I am who I am, and for the first time technology has given me a platform that I am empowered and I feel that I'm speaking on behalf of my ancestors who could never say the things that I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I'm not turning back. I'm there is, you get to a point where there is no quiet. There is no civility. There is no, I'm uncomfortable. There is no, it is you either get with the program or you get run the fuck over. And mm-hmm. that's where I am right now. And so I want to thank you so much for having this conversation. And I want to thank you for making me smile at the end because uh, when I say what do black women have, we can reclaim our own bodies. And oh my God, that just, that just spoke to my heart. So thank you so much. You are so welcome. I'm so glad we got to have this conversation. All right. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Call the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene community. Just visit the website at hashtagcallthescene.com to sign up today. 
On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.